Hey everybody, it's Alex Navarro. Welcome to another edition of the interview Dump Truck here on GiantBomb.com. Uh, yesterday I had the opportunity to go to Boston, uh, which is where Irrational Games currently lives, and uh, as they are the makers of Bioshock Infinite, they were there to show some uh, DLC for the game, uh, including Clash in the Clouds, which is sort of a uh, arena-style, wave-based, single-player challenge mode type thing. Uh, and also learn a little bit about Burial at Sea, which is uh, a new episodic DLC story that takes place in Rapture uh, from the original Bioshock, but features the uh, the two main protagonists of Bioshock Infinite, Elizabeth and Booker. Uh, out of that, I was able to uh, pull a couple of interviews, uh, including Forrest Dowling, uh, who is a designer at Irrational that uh, headed up the Clash in the Clouds project, and also, uh, creatively, Ken Levine, who is sort of the all-encompassing, irrational guy who is, uh, who is, I believe, creatively heading up the uh, the, the Burial at Sea DLC as well. Uh, so I've combined both those interviews here into a thing for you to listen to, and uh, first up is our friend Forrest to talk about Clash in the Clouds. So, uh, this new DLC, uh, where, when did this first, uh, this concept first come up? Uh, pretty much after I finished my last bug mm-hmm. on Infinite, um, pretty much day or two later, I'm like, all right, time to start working on DLC. So I just uh, cracked open the editor and thought, like, all right, well, what's something that would be fun and something that I could have fun working on? So I just, um, at that point, I spent a week and banged out a prototype, which was essentially the equivalent of, like, one of the maps uh, from Clash of the Clouds, and um, showed it around to people and people enjoyed it had fun like all right we see potential this could be cool ken gave it the green light and uh yeah i put together a little team and made it so this wasn't something you would like conceptualized you know prior to getting the main game done like this is something you were just kind of like experimenting with afterward and like you know just kind of stumbled upon yeah pretty much i was like uh well i i knew that there was i knew we could do more with combat stuff i knew that there was you know sort of combinations of enemies and challenges and whatnot that would just were not right for infinite for one reason or another be it the stupid difficulty that uh they would it would represent to have like you know two handymen or something like that or the fact that like maybe narratively it would never make sense for you know these two things to be fighting side by side and i was just like you know if we just kind of have some fun and say we're not worried about that then i thought we there was a lot of room that uh for us to explore and um Fortunately, the combat guys, the guys who really needed to build this thing, um, agreed and uh, yeah, took the ball and really ran with it. I just ask because, you know, I I know that at one point you guys were experimenting with multiplayer ideas and stuff like that, and I was just wondering if anything from those design ideas had found their way into this at all, or if this was just like purely a a work of of original after after the, the game was complete. Yeah, I think it's safe to say it's pretty much a hundred percent original. Like the 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 experimentation stuff with multiplayer was long gone, and like long gone from even my head in terms mm-hmm. of thinking about it um, when I was working on uh, the Clash of the Cloud stuff. It, I mean, it seems safe to say that the this stuff would definitely be targeted at the people who are like still very much and you know engaged with the with playing Bioshock Infinite the people that like got really good at the combat got very you know invested in the combat because it's hard I, I, I'm not sure exactly how to phrase the question to say 
are you are you specifically pushing this at the people that you know are, are really into the combat invested in that stuff because like as someone who played the game and you know enjoyed it the whole way through and stuff but didn't necessarily want to go back and keep going and doing the battles it's sort of like I'm finding my ass getting handed to me constantly by, by the, the combinations of enemies you've been you've been putting together here yeah, I mean, the, the intent right from the get-go was we, we are going to make this hard. We're going to make it hardcore. Um, this is really going to be, like, a, a proving ground for people. And, you know, I guess in terms of, like, looking at uh, other stuff out there that might be sort of in a vaguely similar vein, like the, the kind of... Um, high difficulty either single player or co-op replayable thing like replayability was yeah. a big thing for us um it really it seems like the the difficulty ceiling can go quite a bit higher in that context and people will find it to be acceptable um so we were thinking about that we we're thinking yeah we can make it harder we were thinking about the fact that people really did seem to like 1999 mode and we're like all right cool so people like hard games we can make that we can do a hard game and uh yeah, and then also it, yeah, it just seemed like that would be a lot of fun, and, and in my mind, like a lot of times, like the the best combat experiences do come from when something is pretty difficult because you get sort of that the high of the triumph when you're actually able to do it, and you're like, yes, I finally passed this thing, I finally was able to take that guy down, and you actually need to hit a lot of spikes along the way too, where. You know, like fighting a handyman. The first time I was fighting the tuned-up handyman uh, in Clash of the Clouds, I was like, okay, this is fun, because I needed to work for this. Like, I needed to get on and off the skylines, I needed to bait him, I needed to move around a lot, I needed to really time my shots and aim them well. Um, and it was really satisfying when it actually worked. So Cool. But yeah, this is definitely not for somebody... This is not... Junior's first Bioshock experience, <laughs> for sure. I will agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, and so, can you talk a little bit about some of the uh, the extra stuff that have, that have kind of been put into the, the the? So, there's the new archaeological area where where you get the new like, like when you have the the money, you can go and you can buy extra yeah. stuff. Like, what are some of the things that people can get out of that? Yeah. Um, so the let's see. Uh, I just started looking at you know our. Um, like the various sort of assets that don't actually make it to the game and just started digging around and um, came up with a few things. So I put in a bunch of models of characters that um, a lot of them you maybe have limited exposure to or you don't, uh, like you never get to look at a handyman up close when he's not destroying you. Right. Um, I dug around and found a bunch of old concepts that I thought were cool and we put those in there. Um, I thought it would be cool to put in um, some of the songs that were in the game that you know were maybe playing ambiently in the world or somebody was singing and you could just put it on and listen to it in its entirety. Uh, we found some videos from recording sessions with uh, uh, Troy and Courtney. Um, and also uh, I was um, glad to see that uh, we were actually able to do some new voxophones, which I thought was like a cool touch. like. Uh, so the, the game was out at that point, and we were just looking really for... So we have this money system, right? And we're looking for, all right, well, so there's the gameplay stuff. Is there anything else that we could put in there that the player can, you know, uh, they can purchase? And um, that we'll give them, like, some rewards for the time that they put in, and we're looking at all this different stuff. And simultaneously, we're also looking at you know, the conversations online and people speculating about things, and we're looking at, like, message board threads that are picking apart every element of the game and like, no, this is 
happening because of this, and then this is where this came from, and there was a couple things that were like, well, we didn't really mean for that to be one of the big mysteries, so maybe we could just add a few more audio logs that can help clarify some of the stuff, like, uh, I think the um, origin, some more info about the origin of uh, Vigors in the world of Columbia is touched upon. Um, it's not a pivotal right. like plot point. It's not like a deep mystery that we we really wanted players to sort of unravel. It was just kind of a this wasn't as clear as we had intended it to be. So we could we thought it would be like a cool opportunity to add a little bit of uh, context for some stuff. So just overall, you know, with Clash in the Clouds, like what's what's the number one thing you kind of hope people take away from it? Um, I just hope people have a lot of fun with it. You know, I I, I think that. I've always had the best time in Infinite's combat when I'm really sort of utilizing everything, you know? Um, when I just sort of get that sense of mastery of just kind of zipping all over and, like, hitting guys with all sorts of stuff. Uh, and I hope that kind of kinetic sort of circular combat is something that a lot of people uh, just have a lot of fun with. Cool. Thank you very much for your time. All right, thanks. And now here's Ken Levine to talk about Burial at Sea. So I think the last time you and I talked, it was probably about a month or so, maybe two months before before Infinite came out, um, and you were kind of winding down. You know, everything was was getting pretty close to done there. Um, how have things been since then? Um, I took a very uh, too quick vacation. <laughs> yeah, it's like a couple of weeks. Um, caught my breath a little bit, and um, and then I've been basically doing. You know, I'm working on um, Barrel at Sea um, since, and um, you know, and far, poor Forrest, who did, um, he basically didn't even put his pencil down at all. You know, he he basically closed one file and opened another, and got to work on on um, on um, what's it called um, uh, Clash of the Clouds. Clouds. Yeah, and um, you know, those guys, I'm very, you know, they, they really did. Put that thing together very, very quickly, and no. And we were trying to find this balance between um, getting the fans something relatively quickly, which was, but also giving them what we think people have been asking for, which is, you know, not another team. You know, the A team doing new stuff, um, and you know, effectively new product. Um, and I'm going to agree. We probably went a little crazy with the Rapture stuff because all those. I mean, that's like all new. Environmental assets and all new character assets, almost all new, almost all new objects. You know, all new story. It's like kind of crazy, um, but we felt we have this idea, and we just want to see it through. Cool. So, when did the the buried at sea idea come together? Like, when when did you first conceptualize that, and when when did you start working on it? I think I just had this image in my head of. You know Elizabeth in this sort of femme fatale, mm -hmm. you know, look, um, and you know her coming into this private detective's office. You know Booker is a private detective. So you already have that sort of yeah. concept, and and so we sort of work from like we get an idea that we sort of fall in love with, and um, we're like, well, how do we get there? And the same thing with with infant. Like I knew the ending we wanted, and it's like, well, how do we get there? Right. Um, and um, so you know. We sort of started figuring things out, and we knew there were certain things we wanted to do. We want to, um, we want to show Rapture before the fall, but we didn't want to do. But sort of people were asking us to sort of say, "Do why don't you make a game about Rapture before the fall, so you can tell that story?" And we felt we had told that story with the audio logs and various things, 
so just retelling it wasn't interesting, but a story where that's happening in the background and Booker and Elizabeth and this the A stories on Booker and Elizabeth, we thought was very interesting and somehow tying the two together. We also really excited about showing half of the half of the first pack mm-hmm. of of a very old sea episode one is in no combat, just rapture in its full glory. You know, there's a quest there that's really fun and, and um characters from the first game that, you know, a year before they've gone completely around the bend. Not that there are any not that they're necessarily mm-hmm. the nicest people in the world yet right now. Um and and to really focus on their characters and Elizabeth's you know, I really want to push further on Elizabeth's sort of her 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 using her wits, you know, to get what she needs. Um and she's you know, she's a full woman now. You know, when you met her she was a child almost at the very beginning. Right. And she went through a lot of transitions on infinite and the woman who comes in the door is really a is a woman um and a very and the relationship between her and booker is not necessarily what you would think um and um so though this idea started coming together and the team got really excited about creating rapture parts of rapture people hadn't seen before in, the, in our in our new engine and it just was a lot of fun cool and then so elizabeth is, is actually the protagonist in the the second part right yeah. um so just talk a little bit about the dynamics between those because you said their relationship is different, and I know if that's part of like the storyline, then obviously don't want to spoil it. But I mean, you know, obviously in in Bioshock Infinite, there is the the realization that there is uh, the the familial aspect between the two of them. Is that it, it, I I don't remember if the game states that you know in the different universes, you know, there can be different relationships between those same people. Is that is it still the same kind of relationship, or is it, or is it just... I don't want to spoil any story yeah. stuff, so I have to be That's careful fair. here. I would say that, um, you know, from a gameplay perspective, we try to make... You know, Clash of the Clouds combat is sort of like Bioshock Infinite combat that's entirely focused on combat. Right. Um, the first DLC pack is sort of more like the combat of using the systems for Bioshock Infinite, but more tuned like the combat from Bioshock 1 where you can hear enemies in the distance and observe them in the distance and so your traps and stuff come into play a lot more and it becomes a lot more meaningful and using the environment I think is more meaningful because it's less of sort of like 15 guys coming at you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the Elizabeth chapter is almost, you know, the goal here, and we just started, so I don't want to mm-hmm. know, is, is uh, we started on the Elizabeth chapter, um, is almost a survival horror kind of feeling to it in terms of she's not she can't wade into a fight with the big daddy you know right she has to be, be preparing and setting up the, setting up traps and setting up um, um, the environment and starting the combat when it's the right moment for her or bypassing it sometimes if she can had you always kind of wanted to revisit Rapture in, in some you know in some semi-recent capacity or you know was that because I mean when you look at DLC for, for games like this the temptation is just go right back into the same environments you've already built and all that stuff and, and just kind of you know try and flesh out that storyline like did you feel like no I kind of wanted to go in a different direction you know I kind of wanted to take something different like pretty much right from the get go I don't think I I wasn't interested in just going back and telling the story of what we already told Right. it was the fact combining Booker and Elizabeth and having their, their, their A story take place in Rapture, in before the fall, like all those elements combined to make it work for me. Because I think it's kind of sad when you just sort of are like, you know, trying to repeat, you know, try to recapture former things you've already done. And that's why I did have a 
you know, by Rapture game in mind. And then when we finished Infinite, I sort of saw this opportunity um, to, you know, to sort of merge these two things together in a way that would, def once again, instead of fulfill expectations, defy expectations. Like, I don't think there were a lot of people today who expected to see what exactly what they saw. Yeah. Um, and that's always the goal, is to defy expectations, not to fulfill expectations, because I think people want their expectations fulfilled, but then sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I guess I got what I asked for, you know? And then it's just kind of, you move on from that, and it's like, well, what's the next thing I'm expecting? Yeah. Um, just from a personal perspective, you know, it, Bioshock 1, obviously, was kind of before, you know, DLC had sort of become the all-encompassing requirement that, that sort of exists now in, in modern major games. And it's, I, I'm just curious, like, Obviously, the business benefits are obvious, you know, very you know, upfront, and you know what they are. But it's like from a storytelling and from a creative perspective, like is DLC something you think is really necessary? Is it something that you you feel like can be really great, or is it something you're just sort of like is just sort of a necessity more than anything else? Um, well, this is really the first DLC I've really worked on. Yeah, um, and to me, you know, DLC is a pretty broad term. I mean, I. I remember expansion packs. Which sure. Are, you know, it's more or less the same, similar concept. The same thing. Like, yeah. And like, it, you know, it, it depends on how you look at it. Like, I don't remember, there wasn't the kind of feelings about expansion packs that there are about DLC, and I'm not really sure why. Because I always, to me, expansion packs were like, hey, cool, more more shit, you know? Um, more shit that I can play. Uh, or not play if it wasn't if it wasn't interesting to me. Um, okay. Um, so for us, I think probably like you know you say it's a, it's a total business win. I think if we wanted to do a total business win, we would have not have done the rapture thing. Sure, you know because it's DLC is beneficial generally because you leverage what you've already done. Yeah, um, and we haven't. We've leveraged certainly there are things we we're obviously leveraging in terms of game systems and weapons and stuff, but you know all the environmental stuff for rapture and the story and all that. That's um, you know, the first one is much more leveraging existing stuff, and that's why you know we feel five dollars. It's you know it's a fun thing. Yeah. Play it, and you know if you want to play it, great. If you don't want to play it, that's great. But if it's five dollars, I think any Bioshock game fan is going to have a good time with it. I mean, I'm, I certainly have had a lot of fun with cool. it. I think the guys did a, a great job. Um, I miss that. You know, unhindered by any narrative constraints, they can just go to town. Um, and um, but you know. The second and third expansion packs are, I think, probably from a business perspective, not not the smartest play. Um, I think hopefully we'll be rewarded in the sense that people will understand the value yeah. there and, 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 and go for it, but it's certainly a bigger risk than most DLCs. I think that was my, more my question was just, you know, do you find it re creative reporting to be, you know, like there's an expectation that you'll do more with the game, but do, like in doing something like this, are you finding this like creatively rewarding to work on, you know, versus something that just feels like more, because I've, I've talked to developers who feel like DLC is almost mandated at a certain point, and, you know, I mean, it seems like you're not really treating it that way at all. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what you make of it. You yeah, know, it's like you, like you said. I mean, we could, I could have said, you know, this is, you know, it's you, there is a broad range of things you could do, and I think it probably, you know, if I, I'm much like you, you know, like in the sense that if I was, would you, you know, if you were making working on a game, and if you're a Bioshock, and would you like to make a game, a story about Booker and Elizabeth and Rapture, you mm -hmm. know, before the fall, like. Yeah, I mean, that sounded like fun to me. Yeah. Um, 
and to revisit those things, like, like you know, to be able to, to like, I get, I get off on things like, I mean, I'm weird. Like, I really enjoyed the development of Elizabeth's, you know, look in, mm-hmm. in the first game, and and was heavily involved in working with the guys, the artists who developed, you know, the femme fatale version of Liz, and like looking at reference of, you know, from the period and makeup and hair. Right. And that's the stuff I, I really like that. And, 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 and working with the team, because now our rationalists are a mixture of people who worked on Bioshock 1 who didn't work on Bioshock 1. And so, guys who worked on Infinite but not Bioshock 1. So, sort of watching them develop their understanding of the, of the Art Deco form as we go on, which is not obvious right away to people. Mm-hmm. And seeing them learn that is really nice. And um, having a, you know, having a team that's, having an engine that's, you know, been developed and things are sort of working is a lot better because things can happen much more quickly. Cool. All right, well, thank you for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you.